Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kilohertz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sour, Zimbabwean government slammed for arresting opposition MP and South African business sector urged to be at the forefront of fighting corruption. In economics, news strike disrupts several flights at Kenya's Jomo Kenyatta Airport. And in sports news, South Africa beat Sri Lanka in second one-day international. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF is willing to engage with the opposition MDC to find solutions to the current political impasse. The MDC has indicated it will only engage in talks if these are held under the auspices of an independent mediator. Political tensions in Zimbabwe escalated after the government took a decision to increase fuel prices. ZANU-PF spokesperson Simon Moyo has also reacted to news that the U.S. has renewed targeted sanctions against these parties' leaders in Zimbabwe. These are illegal sanctions. And certainly we cannot be dictated to by the American administration on how we should conduct our affairs as a sovereign state. We've made that very clear. But we've never said we're at war with anybody. Neither are we saying we're abandoning engagement and the re-engagement policy. No, we continue with that policy for those who want. Cameroon has rejected United States criticism of the detention of opposition leader Maurice Kamtu, insisting that it was not politically motivated. Communications Minister René Emmanuel Sadi says Kamtu and more than 150 supporters are being held for common law offences. They are also accused of destroying public property, both within the Central African country and at several Cameroon embassies abroad. A military court charged them in mid-February. Sadi's statement was in response to comments by U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs Thibault Nagay, who said Cameroon would be very wise to release Kamtu because his detention is widely perceived as politically motivated. Kenya and Somalia have restored diplomatic ties following a feud over the ownership of offshore oil fields. Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed helped mediate between the presidents who held face-to-face talks in Nairobi. The BBC's Tommy Aladepo reports. Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta hosted his Somali counterpart, Mohamed Farmajo, in Nairobi. The Somalis say the meeting was to resolve what they called murky relations. Fragile diplomatic relations between both countries could affect counterterrorism efforts in the region. Kenya has more than 4,000 troops in Somalia as part of an African Union mission to fight al-Shabaab jihadist militants. Amnesty International says the Egyptian government appears to be behind a series of digital attacks on rights groups, putting them at risk. Amnesty says the attacks appeared to be part of a campaign to intimidate and silence opponents of President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi. The group says since the beginning of this year, activists had been the subject of email phishing attacks, which tricked them into downloading spyware. The attacks coincided with important political events, such as the recent visit by French President Emmanuel Macron. 
And finally, Mexico has approved a constitutional amendment to create a new national guard. President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador proposed the move to fight violent crime that's wrecking the country. The reform was approved by more than half of Mexico's 32 state legislatures. It clears the way for the formation of a 60,000 strong force made up of federal police and members of the army. The BBC's Candace Piet reports. This isn't the first time Mexico has used the army to bolster its security forces. In 2006, the military were deployed to fight the country's powerful drug cartels, leading to an explosion of violence and human rights abuses. President Andres Manuel López Obrador vowed during campaigning last year to remove the army from the streets. But he later decided the police were not capable of fighting the cartels without military support. There's been strong opposition from lawmakers and activists to the new law, but the final version was modified to put a five-year limit on the army's role. And that's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has called on the business sector to be at the forefront of fighting corruption and resisting state capture. He spoke at the Young President's Organization Global Leadership Conference dinner in Cape Town. The organization, also known as the YPO, brings together young, top-achieving CEOs from more than 130 countries. Ramaphosa encouraged them to invest in South Africa, particularly now that the country is undergoing renewal in terms of its stance on corruption. Among the guests were the president of Rwanda, Paul Kagame. Zaline Merrington has more. President Cyril Ramaphosa is continuing his quest to secure $100 billion in investment in the country in the next five years. In Cape Town, he extended an invitation to some of the world's top young CEOs who are leaders in the industries to invest in the continent, but particularly South Africa. Ramaphosa says the country is undergoing renewal to get rid of corruption and put an end to state capture. He called on the young leaders to also resist state capture. Business should not seek to capture government. Because we in South Africa have seen how when businesses capture government, it ends up very badly. It becomes a total disaster, not only for government but for ordinary people as well. And I say this advisedly because in our own country, as we've been going and finding our way through this state capture, blue chip companies, the bluest of blue chips, were found caught up in the web of state capture and were caught having done unethical things or deeds. He assured potential investors that the country is working on providing reliable energy. Now, South Africa has been experiencing electricity shortages in recent years as our energy utility has faced severe financial and operational difficulties. It was also admittedly also subjected to state capture and some of the challenges that we are having to deal with is the way it was captured by business interests to serve their own purposes. We have embarked on a series of immediate measures to stabilize the electricity grid, to ensure that our electricity utility can meet its financial obligations, and also to restructure the utility to make it more efficient, transparent, and accountable. And through these efforts, we are certain that we can ensure security of energy. Ramaphosa says government aims to make doing business here significantly easier. Many companies are attracted by the relative cost of doing business in South Africa, <clears throat> underpinned by the availability of skilled labor, a, su- a supportive operating environment, 
and a highly sophisticated banking system. We are determined to further improve the ease of doing business in South Africa and have set up ourselves the target of being within the top 50 countries ranked in the World Banking Doing Business Report within three years. That's what we are aiming to try and achieve. We are currently ranked at 82 out of 190 countries. That was South Africa's President Sul Ramaphosa ending that report by Zaline Merrington in Cape Town. A former chief IT executive at South Africa's Public Investment Corporation, the PIC, has detailed how policies and corporate governance were flouted after executive committee members received a leaked email implicating the former CEO in impropriety and wrongdoing. Vuyogazi Menye told the PIC Commission in Pretoria that then-CEO Dan Majila took it upon himself to investigate the origins of the emails leaked by an anonymous whistleblower to the extent that he even appointed external investigators without following proper procedures. Menye says Majila insisted on being given the organization's entire IT systems admin passwords. This breached IT governance and controls and exposed the corporation's IT system to external risks. Amina Akram reports. Vuyokazi Menye is a former IT executive head at the PIC. She was appointed in 2016. She recalls how she was asked to block emails when a whistleblower leaked information pertaining to wrongdoing by former CEO Dan Machila. The CFO and uh, Chris advised me that they have an urgent and a highly confidential request for me. They instructed me to immediately block and not to release all the emails that were being received by some employees in the organization, and they indicated that the emails were about uh, the CEO, Dr. Dan. Our CFO showed me from her mobile phone the subject of the emails that I must block and not release. The subject of the emails was PICCO fans girlfriend. The commission had how paranoid and suspicious Machila became after the leaked emails. He became obsessed to electronically track down the whistleblower and insisted on being given all the IT system admin passwords for the entire organization, thus breaching IT governance and controls. This also exposed the corporation's IT systems to external risks. Many advised him and initially refused to give him the passwords, but she was threatened by Majila. He told her that PIC belonged to him and he could do as he pleased. She found it strange that Majila was more concerned about uncovering the identity of the whistleblower, which was contrary to the PIC whistleblowing policy that encouraged anonymous reporting. He stood up and shouted and said, Vyogas, this is my organization. I own PIC. Give me all the system passwords. I begged him that we will be exposing the organization to a high risk. We had information leaks in the organization, and I was trying to secure the, the IT organization as a custodian of information systems, especially when you send them via the email. With a leading investment house in Africa, you expose you know, your information and the systems. Menye says she was eventually pushed out of the corporation by Machila. Menye, who broke down in tears while giving testimony, says she was forced to accept a settlement letter and leave the organization. She says her back was against the wall and her health took a turn for the worse when she was charged without a valid reason and suspended. The PIC executive head for HR signed her settlement agreement without following any governance processes that supported the settlement agreement. We get to uh, the hearing on the 11th of April. Instead of them continuing with Simpuez matter, I'm called again to discuss the same settlement agreement issue that I had refused. And they beg me. They beg me, you know, Advocate Kasim tries to show me that I'm no longer needed in that organization. And I'm saying, what have I done? What wrong have I done for the organization not to need me? The commission resumes next week on Monday. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host.
Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. South Africa's ruling ANC Secretary General Ace Mahashule has encouraged residents to pay for services to enable municipalities to provide essential services like refuse removal. He was speaking during the ANC cleanup campaign in Sibukeng, east of Johannesburg, on Wednesday. Some residents have complained about poor service delivery, especially the lack of refuse removal, which they say contributes to the spread of some diseases. Ndebo Mugobo has more. Inspired by the Rwandan government practice of getting communities to clean up the country once a month, the ANC wants to roll out the Clean South Africa campaign. President Cyril Ramaphosa will this Friday launch the initiative aimed at inspiring cleanliness and pride. And on Wednesday to start the ball rolling, ANC Secretary General Ace Mahashule led hundreds of Sebukian residents on a clean-up campaign after complaints over lack of service delivery, especially refuse removal. Mahashule says they are concerned about rubbish all over the place. We have seen that the town is not clean. Our townships are not clean. Uh, South Africa is not clean. The president is launching on Friday, Clean South Africa campaign. By the time the president announced, uh, the comrades in the Val has already started. But we will be launching that massive South African campaign by the president. We met the mayors. Uh, they are actually doing something. Uh, Mfulen already has uh, bought uh, trucks uh, to clean. I'm sure they'll be delivered tomorrow. And Mahashula used the occasion to urge those who can afford to pay services they receive from municipalities. Pay for your services uh, is very, very important so that we sustain our democracy and we clean our environment. We are just inspiring our communities, black and white, that it can't just be government cleaning. We have to clean our environment. We have to keep our places safe and clean. When we clean this, we are not just doing it for public relations. We are trying to motivate uh, business people themselves to make sure that in front of their shops, the environment is clean. Freenaging is not clean. There are potholes. Some of our municipalities, because of the tax base, uh, because uh, some people are not paying for services, uh, but we are here to motivate our workers. The ANC Secretary General says the governing party wants to gender culture of environmental awareness that extends beyond the May elections. It's not poor service delivery, it's the work ethic. The ANC government has done its best uh, wherever they are. You can go to various areas, uh, the streets are paved, so it's here and there. And we are here to motivate people to say it's not for election purposes. It's a campaign which we must sustain for years to come, like in Rwanda. It must be the culture of South Africans that we must be clean, the environment must be clean. South Africa's ruling ANC Secretary General Ace Mahashule ending that report by Ndebo Mukobo in Sibukeng. South African opposition EFF leader Julius Malema has accused ENCA presenter Karima Brown of being a state security spy. This after Brown accidentally posted an editorial note on the EFF's WhatsApp media group, which was meant to go to her media house. In the note, which was sent last night, Brown directs a group of journalists to monitor Malema's event on the East Rand region where he met the elderly to hear their grievances ahead of the May 8th polls. Malema then posted Brown's cell phone number online, resulting in EFF supporters sending her disparaging messages, Mbali Tetani reports. Well, Karima is not a journalist. Karima is not an uh, editor. Karima is not a... Uh, uh, assignment editor and therefore she enjoys no privilege if you start saying to whoever you say to go to EFF event go and check who's there uh, check how they are selected you are effectively saying check their addresses and all that and we were exposing an operation that seeks to put the lives of these old gogos in danger if Karima has got some underground position in some institution we must be told what is that position because such doesn't exist in the ethics of journalism. And uh, she must tell us who was she sending the thing to, on whose behalf was she doing that. So 
uh, uh, and how do you hold an underground editor accountable if she's an underground editor so she cannot claim privilege of journalists we cannot expose the number of an editor or a sub-editor or assignment editor or that of journalists but she doesn't have that privilege what was she doing that sounded like an intelligence uh, uh, sms where people are given an assignment to come and spy on goggles and if anything happens to these goggles tonight karima will take full responsibility eff leader julius malama lashing out at enca presenter and journalist karima brown claiming she's out to destroy the party this after brown accidentally posted an editorial message meant for the enca media house on the eff's media whatsapp group the message was directed at the group to monitor a meeting between Malema and elders on the East Rand. The WhatsApp message read, quote, Keep an eye out for this. Who are these elders? Are they all male? And how are they chosen? Keep watching the brief. Close quote. A message which did not sit well with the Red Berets. The commander-in-chief of the party then took a screen grab of the message with Brown's cell phone number attached. She has since been receiving threats and calls with most warning her to stay away from the EFF. Malema has distanced his party from this. There is no member of the EFF who has attacked her worse through the mandate of the EFF. There is no such an instruction issued uh, uh, from the EFF. You see, this thing of trying to create an impression that EFF people are mental hospital patients, it's wrong. That every time they act in an irrational manner, Every time they act in a mad manner, it's insultive, it's disrespectful of black people. It's to think the worst of black people, that they they can't think on their own, that they do not know uh, what is wrong and right. Brown has rubbished Malema's claims about her and condemned the party's attacks and intimidation. Uh, Mr. Julius Malema is um, obsessed with me has been obsessed with me from the beginning. He is um, seriously afraid of the fact that the journalism that I do is the kind of journalism that actually exposes the EFF as thugs parade as politicians. I don't work for state security. I'm a, a journalist. I'm employed at ENCA. I'm employed at 702. I brief journalists. Every day I brief uh, uh, producers every day. I have two shows that I work on. Uh, in fact, I produce more than one show at, at ENCA. And so what Mr. Julius Malema is saying is complete and utter nonsense. The South African National Editors Forum has since condemned the EFF's attack on Brown. It has also appealed to the IEC to monitor transgressions against the media and educate political parties on the Electoral Act, which allows media freedom. Sarnif's Executive Director, Kate Skinner. So we absolutely condemn what's been happening um, and we've been calling on Julius Malema and his um, and the leadership of the EFF to actually apologise. Um, and we're saying that um, it's incredibly important that the EFF uh, doesn't actually promote this kind of abuse, but in fact stops their followers from, from abusing journalists. And we're seeing the opposite. And it's extremely depressing because what we're doing is we're actually making our elections, um, we're, we're, we're putting our elections actually at risk because if journalists cannot report without fear or favour and they cannot report on issues and feel intimidated, then we as citizens are not going to get the news that we need. Meanwhile, Malema continued with his birthday celebrations on the East Rand where he hosted the elderly to a breakfast engagement to hear the challenges they continued to face. Ambali Tetani in Boxburg. To the United States, where the White House is pressuring Senate Republicans to back the president on a bill to annul his national emergency on the border, is put to a vote in the upper house in the weeks ahead. Late last month, the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives passed a resolution to terminate President Donald Trump's declaration of a national emergency that would allow him to reallocate government funding to build a southern border wall despite congressional disapproval of such a move. The resolution will head to the Senate for a vote before the end of next week. Show and Brass Peace reports. The long-running battle over President Trump's border wall and his subsequent declaration of an emergency has seen Congress refuse to bow to pressure from the White House 
that has been quietly lobbying Republican senators to stand with the president and not join Democrats in trying to block the president's unilateral action. At least four Republican senators, including Rand Paul of Kentucky, have already indicated they would join Democrats, providing supporters of the resolution with a simple majority. I will vote uh, for the motion to disapprove of this, and I will continue to speak out. I do believe that there is uh, at least 10 Republican no votes. We'll see, possibly more. I think virtually everybody in our caucus is troubled by this. Even when you hear Republicans say they're going to support this, they're troubled by the precedent and they're troubled by the fact that this is uh, executive power that's being expanded. The joint resolution is passed without objection. The motion reconsidered. The House voted in February by a 245 to 182 majority to terminate the president's declaration of a national emergency with 13 Republican lawmakers joining Democrats in that vote. Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. We are not going to give any president, Democratic or Republican, a blank check to shred the Constitution of the United States. We would be delinquent in our duties as members of Congress if we did not overturn what the president is proposing. He is asking each and every one of us to turn our backs on the oath of office that we took to the Constitution of the United States. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders has argued that the President has the absolute authority to declare the national emergency, stating that had lawmakers done what they were elected to do on the front end, the President would then not have had to act. Trump has vowed to veto the resolution if it passes the Senate. On the wall? Yes. Will I veto it? 100%. 100%. And I don't think it survives a veto. We have too many smart people that want border security, so I can't imagine it could survive a veto, but I will veto it, yes. Congress can override the potential veto if two-thirds of both chambers then vote again to block the national emergency. But that prospect seems fairly remote given the popularity that President Trump enjoys within the Republican Party at around 90% and the political costs Republican lawmakers could suffer in the 2020 elections if they are seen to obstruct this president's agenda. So what seems more likely is that this matter will work its way through the courts with multiple lawsuits filed in different states, likely ending up at the Supreme Court in Washington, where President Trump highly rates his chances of success. I'm Sherman Bryce Pease in New York. Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzaka. In Yawundi. Informing the world about Africa. In Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. The Zimbabwean government is facing condemnation over the arrest and prosecution of a young female legislator. 25-year-old MP Joanna Mamombe was arrested over the weekend and charged for treason. Mamombe alleges she was harassed and ill-treated during her arrest during parliamentary business, a move that has been condemned. Human rights experts are urging government to stop persecuting women in politics but emulate Rwanda and Botswana, who empower young female politicians. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. March the 8th is International Women's Day, and as usual, Zimbabwe is expected to join the world to commemorate the event. As Zimbabwean women commemorate this event, the human rights experts are accusing government of targeted attacks on female politicians, while Botswana and Uganda are leading in terms of empowering young females in politics. In Zimbabwe, they are being punished Gender activists have complained. The outcry comes after the arrest of opposition legislator Joanna Mamombe, aged 25 years, who is facing treason charges. Mamombe is accused of inciting public violence during the January fuel protest that left 12 people dead, a number injured, and more than 1,000 arrested. 
Justice for Women in Zimbabwe Director Cosette Chirinda had this to say on the arrest of Mamombe. Organization that works with young women, we feel this is a gross violation of human rights, particularly the rights of women. And it impacts negatively on the participation of young women in politics. We can't run away from the fact that uh, Joanna Mamombe has become a role model for young women who want to become politicians in Zimbabwe. And considering the gate that is there in the country in terms of young women's participation, this is a huge blow to young women's participation in politics. As uh, many young women now feel intimidated to enter the political arena, yeah, we feel this is a sad development. To convey their displeasure, Justice for Women in Zimbabwe will be commemorating International Women's Day in honor of Joanna Mamombe, who is currently in prison. Well, as Justice for Women in Zimbabwe, we are going to commit our International Women's Day 2019 to amplifying the work of young women who are activists, who are politicians, particularly the work of Joanna Mamombe, considering what she's going through right now. We are going to be amplifying here and making sure the world knows Joanna Mamombe, the journey that she has taken and the experience that she's going through right now. On Tuesday, Speaker of Parliament, Advocate Jacob Mdenda pleaded with law enforcement agents to handle legislators with dignity during arrests. However, another opposition female legislator, Priscilla Misai Rambwe, said the utterances by the speaker were regrettable. Uh, the information that I had from uh, around the rest of uh, Honorable Joanna Maomombe was what the speaker gave me and what he gave to the House. I can only go with that version of what he put through and the recommendations that were put by some of the members. Basically to say perhaps there should be a different way in which uh, members of parliament are treated if they are suspected of, um, of having committed a crime. Although my position is that uh, I have actually a problem with, uh, with that statement because it presupposes that uh, everybody else should be treated badly. When you look at the video that they are saying is the basis for the charge, all that she does is she merely asks people to come out for a peaceful march. In Harare, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussan. The headline, Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF is willing to engage with the opposition MDC to find solutions to the current political impasse. Cameroon rejects U.S. criticism of the detention of opposition leader Maurice Kamtu, insisting that it was not politically motivated. And Kenya and Somalia restored diplomatic ties following a feud over the ownership of offshore oil fields. Those are the stories making headlines. The global pharmaceutical company Bayer has launched a new cost-effective tool to fight malaria in Africa. The indoor residual spray, Fludora Fusion, fights insecticide resistance, one of the biggest threats to eradicating malaria. Bayer has been a mainstay in global malaria prevention strategy for over 60 years. Channel Africa's Jane Rabotata has more. Fludora Fusion, which is produced by Bayer, is the world's first combination indoor insecticide to help reduce strains of malaria that are resistant to insecticides in Africa. Speaking at the launch of the product in Johannesburg, Dr. Jacqueline Applegate, head of global vegetable seeds and environmental science at Bayer, said the product is already available at an affordable price. It is available today and it's pre-qualified by the WHO. In, um, in 18 countries, we have registrations and others are pending. Um, from an affordability perspective, um, let's say that the product is 40% cheaper than other IRS 
products that are on the market today. The indoor residual spray is a combination of two unrelated modes of action, clotianidin and deltamethrin. It is sprayed onto walls inside a house, and when a mosquito comes into contact with it, it is killed within 24 to 48 hours. Bayer's market segment head, Justin McBeath, further explains. So generally speaking, in the countries, there are large and well-organized programs, sort of spray teams, managed by the National Malaria Control Programs. Um, so those spray teams will go out in a very organized and systematic way and, and go through districts and, and cover and spray um, houses at the prescribed dose, one which is recognized by WHO. And they will do that usually on an annual basis, depending on the basis of monitoring and evaluation. So, so yeah, so the, the, two, the two insecticides are on the surface of the wall. Mosquitoes will enter the hut and they will either contact the, the wall on entering the, the house and the dwelling, either before or after biting actually. Questioned about the safety of the product, Applegate maintained that thorough testing has proven that it is not harmful to human beings. We understand these active ingredients because they are registered and at the same time so we know the toxicological, the, the, the overall, you know, um, amount of time it would spend in the environment from a metabolism perspective and things. What's very interesting from a biocide perspective, we've done a lot of testing on exposure and there's very low exposure. It's, it's from a perspective, if you think about a mud hut, you have the penetration into the surface. And so from a safety and efficacy standpoint, it has a very high safety profile. Although malaria is a treatable disease if detected early, current anti-malarial drugs are failing in many areas due to increasing drug resistance. In 2018, more than 16,000 malaria cases resulting in 110 deaths were reported by the end of October in southern Africa alone, according to the World Health Organization. Reflecting on the prevalence of the disease on the continent is Chief Executive Officer at Bayer Southern Africa, Dr. Klaus Eckstein. This is happening in Africa. It's happening in all countries around Africa with focus, of course, on Burkina Faso, on Congo, on DRC, on Uganda, on, on Mozambique, on various countries that are not seeing cultural language borders, which is basically for us a call to say, let's really address and work towards the vision of zero malaria in Africa. Eckstein adds that the cost of malaria is quite disturbing. It affects entire communities, it affects families, and it affects households in terms of the money they spend. Because now they need to go to doctors, they need to go to medication, they actually lost income. And this is the daily impact. On governments, it's a similar, in similar situation. You're talking about governments losing spaces in hospitals, using funding from a healthcare environment to cure malaria and malaria patients. That's Dr. Klaus Eckstein, Chief Executive Officer at Bayer Southern Africa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Jane Rabutata in Johannesburg. Thousands of workers in the tobacco industry in South Africa could lose their jobs if Parliament passes the draft tobacco control bill. If signed into law, people would not be allowed to smoke in public or in their homes in the presence of children. E-cigarettes would also be regulated and taxed. The National Health Department wants smoking to be regulated to reduce the associated risks. Didaba Tsotezi has more. The National Council Against Smoking surveyed eight political parties on the new proposed tobacco control bill. Only two parties responded. However, smokers have strongly opposed the proposed bill. They say it will be difficult to only smoke in designated areas. In an area like this, like how I was found, like in the street, I shouldn't really consider that a problem because, okay, say now only if it's like, during like a busy area in the community you know because you have non-smokers there and it might affect them uh, it's not good because uh, like we may come from northeast corner i'm here by street i don't smoke i can't, I can't smoke because I, I can't go back to northeast corner to smoke my house i don't suffer 
If passed into law, it will introduce strict regulations for smokers. Savira Kaladin is executive director for the National Council Against Smoking. We have to introduce plain packaging. We must make sure we have 100% smoke-free indoor areas and introduce some smoke-free outdoor public areas. We must remove all forms of advertising, you know, which we have not done. There was a need for our legislation to be updated on what we had previously had. And one of the completely new areas in the draft bill is the regulation of e-cigarettes. Plain packaging of, of cigarettes, which basically means that all advertising of uh, cigarettes that are on packages at the moment will be completely removed. Patricia Lili's new party, Good Supports the Bill, the party's national chairperson, Ntabiseng Lepoko. The reduction of cigarette promotions, that would be the start. Secondly, education is key. People need to be informed, you know, because I think that even the smokers, they're not really aware of what the smoking is doing to them because there's no uh, formal workshops in communities that are directed, directed strictly to reduce the smoking habits in our communities and societies. African Christian Democratic Party says South Africa has good laws, but the implementation thereof is lacking. ACDP Houghton Chairperson Lesiba Molokomi says there is a need to be strict and enforce the law. There are some people in this country who do not care you know, about the laws of the country. It, it is because the laws are not being implemented, that just passed, are not monitored and implemented. We, we believe that the best way to enforce the laws is first to understand that if you break the law, that's a criminal act. The draft bill was released last year in May for public comment. I'm Dittabasotis in Johannesburg. The South African Broadcasting Corporation former CEO Lulama Mokobo says she did not leave the SABC because of former Chief Operations Officer Saudi Mutsuneng's bullying tactics at the public broadcaster. Mokobo was the fourth candidate to be interviewed by Parliament's Communications Committee yesterday to possibly fill one of eight vacancies in the SABC board. Our parliamentary correspondent Mercedes Percent tells us more. Responding to DAMP Pumzile Fandam, Mokobo says she was driven away from the SABC for standing up against illegal decisions that were taken on the multi-choice deal. I did not leave because of Mutsuning's bullying. I left because there was a concerted effort to get me out of the company. And this effort came after the fight that we had over the multi-choice agreement. And that multi-choice agreement actually bled over into a consultative forum that Minister Karim put together. He was the Minister of Communications at that time. And in that consultative forum, an illegal position was taken by the then chair of the board, Ellen Shabalala, who claimed that the board of the SABC had agreed that there must be no encryption on the set of boxes. And Having, after she had said that, I immediately consulted with a board member and asked him if perhaps I was completely misplaced, I did not understand what happened at the board meeting, that did she actually get approval from the board? And he said categorically no. Former ICASA councillor Mashia Sotrikwa was another candidate interviewed and questioned about past ICASA regulations that affected the SABC. Thank you. Um, Your CV says we must get references on request. Why? What are you hiding? No, I have nothing to hide. My previous boss, Eddie Casa, passed away, Brad Steve. Um, And then my current boss would be my next reference. Um, The university? I'd have to ask him. At the university, my previous boss, uh, Professor Faree, has retired. Um, and that was in the Department of Communication Science. So you were in ICASA when the mass care regulations were passed, is that correct? Yes. But those were ridiculous regulations, am I correct? I mean, they bankrupted, or they robbed the SABC essentially for many years, made it lose money. 
it seemed to me you were part of that decision. I was on maternity leave. I had actually just come back. Uh, so I was not part of the hearings. I was on maternity leave at the time. A past traffic fine came to haunt another candidate, Lufuno Nevondwe, when he was interviewed. I admitted that I have a criminal record and is an exceeding a speed limit a violation of traffic. It's a traffic offense. It is still there, but I believe that it is not uh, material for the job I'm applying for. Former SABC Group Executive of Risk and Governance, Itani Tseisi, was the last candidate to be interviewed for yesterday. He made headlines in 2016 when he gave evidence to the parliamentary inquiry into SABC about rampant corruption. He had to answer some of those questions. That was SABC board candidate and former SABC Group Executive of Risk and Governance, Itani Tseisi ending that report by our parliamentary correspondent, Mercedes Percent. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. President Cyril Ramaphosa has called on the business sector to be at the forefront of fighting corruption and resisting state capture. He was speaking at the Young President's Organization Global Leadership Conference dinner in Cape Town last night. The organization, also known as YPO, brings together young, top-achieving CEOs from more than 130 countries. Ramaphosa has encouraged them to invest in South Africa, particularly now that the country is undergoing renewal. But Ramaphosa says business needs to be careful. Business should not seek to capture government. Because we in South Africa have seen how when businesses capture government, it ends up very badly. It becomes a total disaster, not only for government, but for ordinary people as well. The International Air Transport Association has called on industry and governments to work together more closely to keep aviation secure in the face of evolving security threats and the forecast doubling of passenger demand to reach $8.2 billion by 2037. IATA's Director General and CEO, Alexandra Junei says global standards and collaboration among governments and industry is the bedrock of a continued success. According to Accepts, carried in the latest online edition of eTurbo News, IATA urged the stakeholders to focus on global standards, information sharing, risk-based analysis and emerging threats to secure aviation for decades to come. Huawei says that the United States does not have any evidence to support allegations that the Chinese telecoms firm poses a risk to national security. This after the U.S. said the telecoms company's equipment could be manipulated by China's government to spy on other countries and disrupt critical communications. It has also been lobbying allies to shun the firm. Huawei has meanwhile filed a lawsuit against the U.S. government over a ban that restricts government agencies from using its products. The company has gone on the offensive after a few months of intense international scrutiny. Senior Huawei executive Guo Ping. The U.S. government has long branded Huawei as red. It has hacked our servers and stolen our emails and source code. Despite this, the U.S. government has never provided any evidence supporting the accusation that Huawei poses a cybersecurity threat. Investors from the United Kingdom Copper Tree are set to develop a copper processing plant at the famous Ambien Uchi dump site in Kitwe on the Copper Belt. Kitwe District Commissioner Binwa Limpundu has told Zambia National Broadcasting Corporation that 
Coppertry discovered valuable minerals at the Uchi dump site and that the construction of a copper processing plant will start in July. Mpundu says the company will start recalling and processing minerals at the Uchi dump site, which has since been closed off and fenced off. Facebook boss Mark Zuckerberg has explained his vision for the future of social media, saying he believes secure private messaging services will be more popular than the open platforms. In a blog, Zuckerberg outlined his vision to transform Facebook into a privacy-focused platform. Facebook owns Messenger and WhatsApp, but message encryption limits its ability to make money through targeted adverts. The BBC's Dave Lee reports. Mark Zuckerberg said people's online habits were changing. And while Facebook's growth has been about sharing our lives in a digital town square, as he put it, people now seek to have something closer to a digital living room, still sharing, but with those you trust. So he said his site would move to be more privacy conscious, admitting his company has not earned a strong reputation in that area. The move will mean more encryption and ephemeral content, i.e. posts that disappear after a set amount of time. Indicators at the Sawa. The US dollar is trading at uh, 35.48 Nigerian Nara. 10.46 Botswana Pula, 99.30 Kenyan Shilling and at 11.99 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 3.79 Brazilian roll. 65.85 Russian ruble, 70.20 Indian rupee, 6.71 Chinese yuan, and 14.21 to the South African rand. The US dollar is trading at 76 pence to the British pound, 88 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities markets now, gold $1,286, platinum $824 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $66.33 a barrel. Channel Africa from an African perspective. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update, we begin with football news. South African national women's football team, Banyana Banyana, claimed 10th spot at the 2019 Cyprus Women's Cup after losing three games in the tournament and drawing one. Head coach Desiree Ellis says a lot of lessons have been learned as they prepare for the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup taking place in France in June. Banyana Banyana's next assignment is on the 7th of April against Jamaica in Durban, a clash that also doubles as a farewell match for the World Cup-bound squad. The squad returns home on Friday and is expected to land at the 1100-hour Central African time at O.R. Dambo International Airport in Johannesburg. An English premiership side, Manchester United interim coach Ole Gunnar Solskjaer insists his team can go all the way in the Champions League after his side's historic 3-1 win at Paris Saint-Germain. Having been written off in their last 16 tie after a 2-0 first leg defeat to the French champions three weeks ago, United became the first team in Champions League history to qualify for the next round, having lost the first league of a knockout match at home by two or more goals. Here is Martin Tyler with a commentary. And he's given the penalty. Oh, my word. Goodness oh. me. I am amazed at that. I really am. Up steps Rashford and fires it in and fires Manchester United surely into the last eight of the Champions Mission improbable but not impossible that was the message at the start PSG are out Manchester United through finished here 3-1 on the evening to United they are through on away goals after a 3-3 aggregate a blistering half-century by Quentin de Kock, followed by three wickets for Gajiz Rabada, paved the way for the Proteas to go 2-0 up in the five-match one-day international series against Sri Lanka. With a comprehensive 113-run win in Centurion in Pretoria last night, opener de Kock first smashed 17 fours and won six in his 94 of just 70 balls that helped the South Africans post 251. 
The Tories then replied with a sorry 138 all-out as the host roamed to victory at Supersports Park. Despite his effort, de Kock felt he's missed out on a century. No, I was quite disappointed, to be honest. Um, lately, I'm um, not having been converting these 80s and 90s into, into bigger scores than I'm wanting to. So I'm quite disappointed, especially I got out in the first quarter of, of, the, of, the, of the game. So, um, so yeah, obviously a bit disappointed. But, you know, going forward, uh, confidence is high. And hopefully, soon enough, we'll score with some big runs. South African rugby side Bulls coach Porter Human wants his team to play with the same consistency in performance as they did in the wins against the Stormers and Lions when they take on the Sharks in the Super Rugby Derby at Loftus Festfeld in Pretoria on Saturday. At the same time, Human says they can only play as well as the opposition allows them to and whatever opportunities present themselves on the field. No, definitely. I think so. I think the way we play against uh, the Stormers and, and the Lions last weekend, that's the way we want to play. Uh, it's, it's just uh, it's also it's what uh, the opposition present to you. I mean, we want to play what's on, uh, and uh, that's that's for for Andre to decide on the field. That's the sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Zimbabwe's government slammed for arresting opposition MP and South African business sector urged to be at the forefront of fighting corruption. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutsu Magadza and Komutsu Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. I'm taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is techno with a song titled Pana.
For lucky, like give me love. Oh. Now you the catch my shot. For your sake, I go go touch. We go drive around for my Porsche. Baby, Pana, they say you like you are. It's Chris with the travel guy. You just touch it. Say, I